Footy Prime the Podcast is brought to you by Tony Bet, official sponsor of the CPL and presenting sponsor of Canada's unofficial voice of footy. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Oi. The boys and girls on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes the tales can get quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, let's go! Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. Booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. You know that we are the number one show. So grab your fucking mitts and now it's time to go. Cause it's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. It's the booty, booty, it's time to get this party started. With Danny, Jimmy, Gregor, and the Jimmy, JC. All we know and all we talk about is booty, it's time to get this party started tonight. You're listening to Footy Prime the Broadcast, a broad perspective of all things footy. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Welcome home. Thank Crazy you. I, I, I sped home. Is that light a problem? No. I mean, your, your natural light? Your aura? I just have a glowing aura. <laughs> You do. Leave or it. You're, you're radioactive. Leave <laughs> it. I know. <laughs> Actually, that was not bad. Yeah, I know, right? It's pretty good. <laughs> we got somebody else here coming to the stage. Yay! Hey, how, <laughs> how are you? Good. Yeah. It was a fun day yesterday. No kidding. Yeah. No, it was uh, a great crowd. There was so much energy and uh, saw so many of my former teammates. That was pretty cool. Did you have FOMO Forest? Pardon? I know you're out in Vancouver. You're helping out your pops, but you must have had some FOMO. I'm at my mom's now looking after her. Oh, you're at your mom's. Jeez, Louise. Look at you. You're the best son. Nice. Yeah. Is she she in Vancouver? She's got her best Royal Dalton behind me and everything. (laughs) <laughs> is she in vancouver craig uh out near uh chilliwack area oh wow okay i do it that way. my mom's in montreal oh yeah and where are you right now i'm in toronto for the game so i leave back to vancouver tomorrow um okay. but i've been with my mother in wales for two weeks so my sister and i brought her back to the homeland for a little bit so that was fun. Oh, nice Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're fully back kind of on Canada time? Because when we did that panel yeah. for us, you saw on the Monday night, the Voyagers put together this amazing event 
Um, yeah. and, and one soccer helped out. Andy Petrillo hosted, and it was Diana Matheson, yeah. Ian Wilkinson, as we all know, Ian Wilkinson is on the broadcast currently, and myself. And it was a great turnout. Um, and it was uh, it was really cool. Why did I start talking about this? Probably me being jet lagged on the panel. Yes. And so I I had I grabbed a beer. D had a beer. Even Andy was working a beer and because uh, it's not unusual to see me with a beer in my hand. And I was like, Reen, you going to get something like you? And she was like, absolutely not. Like if if I do start to like fade or like really legitimately fall asleep, just give me a poke. <laughs> but You soldiered on. Yeah, yeah. I let it be an hour before it started. So that was good. It was yeah. good timing. One delay would have really been a problem. Oh, my wow. gosh. Yeah, I'm just glad you made it. I'm going to say it before I forget. This is Footy Prime, the broadcast. I'm Amy Walsh. We have Rian Wilkinson and we have Craig Forrest joining us because, I mean, anybody from the crew, you only have one ball. So you're the closest to being abroad, I think. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. True. I'm kind of unique. I'm I'm sitting right in the middle. That's right. Pick a side for us. Get off the fence. What? And I think, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to, um, uh, Claire Rested might join us, but you know, she's a doctor and all. So I let her know very, very late that we were doing this. So she's going to hop on if she can. So we may or may not have a Claire Rested appearance, nice. which will be good. Yeah. So um, in addition to, we had that great event to go back to that. So the Voyagers organized it and I was speaking to Rob. And he was actually, uh, Rob and Jamie are the two guys from the Voyagers who, who sort of spearheaded it. And they said they had more runway and more prep time than I think they'd ever had for a home match, whether it was the men's team or the women's team. And uh, they had a great TIFO in the, in the Voyagers end about, you know, being Olympic champs. And I think I was a little bit concerned. And there were some tweets that went out. Our friend Arash Madani was kind of raked over the coals for it because he, he tweeted rather early and it was 7 p.m. kickoff on a Tuesday night. So it took mm. people, even if they were on time to the stadium, it took them a wee while to sort of make their way up the queues and get through security and to get into their seats. But it was um, a packed house. So way to go Toronto, way to go surrounding area. All the people who flew into the game, just massive support, deserved support for our women's team, right? Mm. In their first competitive home match in eight years, I think other than say like the celebration tour right so twenty nine thousand and change and um i thought it was terrific did forrest did you get a chance to watch the game yeah i'm all, i did, did actually most of it anyway not all of it because I, I was moving locations from my dad's to my mom's so uh that was a bit uh testing but anyway um yeah, I thought it was fantastic. I thought the everything about it, it was theater. Uh, they did a really good job on one soccer. I thought they they did a great job with the commentary and just the whole setting of the scene and everything else. And then also it was great to see lots of social media about the Hall of Fame inductions and yeah, the families and, and all yeah. that. And it, was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was really, really good all around. It was just – and remember, I mean, going into this t- two-legged tie – we were concerned. We were we were concerned where the goals mm-hmm. were going to come from, and you know we talked about open play and not happening, and just the, coming off the the poor World Cup and with, with a lot of questions, and they certainly answered them. And I thought they they did a fantastic job managing those two games, and uh, and they should be applauded for it for sure. Mm-hmm. What did you think, Ree? 
Yeah, I mean, I think um, I was frustrated with a few parts of the game in terms of they had so much possession and they they had great possession in good areas of the field and then they wouldn't get a shot off or they just would sort of overplay or go backwards when um, I felt like they could be more dangerous around the net. But I love Craig's point. Like this is a team that hasn't scored many goals in the last little while. And um, I do feel like, yes, I have my frustrations, but actually this was a huge step forward in terms of being dangerous in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, a second goal. four goals in open play. Four was one the- a corner and a rebound. I'm trying to. Yeah. Oh. O- open play, whether it's, you know, yeah. set pieces or, you know, from, from the run of play itself. Like I'm going to yeah. categorize it as such. <laughs> I think from different people, from players that, I mean, Chloe Lacasse got player of the game. And for me, absolutely the right decision, mm-hmm. the energy that uh, that woman brought and the fierceness. Uh, she really drove the standard of the game for me. Um I, I really enjoyed it. I thought they put on a spectacle when Jamaica scored. I did feel nervous. And that's something I that's did too. New with Canada, you always felt like, oh, they've just, they've got to, they're put the gas on now. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like this is not good. But uh, they didn't, they didn't waver. They were, they went back on task very quickly. So I was, I was impressed. They bad. did. They had like that coming together on the field, whether that was spearheaded by, by Kaylin Sheridan or, or Fleming or anybody else, because whether you're wearing the armband or not, we know that there are, are really notable, recognizable leaders in that 11. And uh, But despite that, there was a little bit of a drop in, in the tempo, in the energy. And that's when I was like, oh boy, because I mean, what a strike by Spence, you know, like just out of nothing, that's there, that handball, maybe about 20 yards out and just a phenomenal uh, free kick. So credit to her and credit to them to get that against the run of play because you're right, Canada did have most of the of the possession and then didn't quite look like you said like have the timing right or playing quick enough or the incisiveness in their in their attack and in their movements and then all of a sudden there was that um, and we had Adriana Leon taking the the corners instead of say a Jesse Fleming set plays and, they were very good I like I like that I like that a lot too and then there was the was almost an own goal. It was a header off the Jamaican defender. And then a few moments later, it was that shot by Lawrence that mm. the keeper also Spencer gets a hand to and just pushes it, parries it off the bar. Um, and then they got the goal. And then it, that was almost like what they, what they needed to sort of reaffirm, you know, that they were doing the right things. And then they came out with more energy in the second half. And I thought the substitutions were good too. Like say a, a Jordan Heidema brought a lot um, to the squad and only takes five minutes to, to really make an impact. Some sort of like strange memory. So, so detailed. I can barely remember the games I played in. Like I just, just the way that you go through it, but absolutely. I don't know about you, Craig, but I, I did feel like there it's still clunky how they play, but what they're trying to do, I'm all about. And I think Carm said something that this maybe it was you aim sorry i don't remember who it was but someone said this is i will the, take full credit for it even it was like the biggest change in, in tactics and formation for this team um since the john herdman days and it hadn't really occurred to me i think it's a great point that bev coaches need to try things they need to get things right they need to get things wrong they're trying to make sure they get the best combinations on the field and she's had a lot of injuries to contend with and i think um, Nichelle Prince is a wonderful example of a player that we've really been missing. And whoever did that operation on her Achilles, well done. She looked, <laughs> I mean, she looked 
faster than before her injury and fit and strong. And um, yeah, I, I just think that uh, Bev is, is being able to show some of her creativity or her and her staff, what they're coming up with probably because she's got a bigger squad to choose from now and isn't sort of hampered by so many injuries, but it's just thrown outside guess. What do you think, Craig? Well, certainly, well, you know, as a coach, you live and die by those decisions. And there's a certain probably now from the center point, which was Christine as well. And and she's on the sort of way out, but she's still part of the team. And she seems to have managed that pretty well. And and with the, the changes, I was going to ask you, what do you think the biggest changes are? And what do you think the, the probabilities are moving forward as, you know, will this team be successful? Can they, you know, defend this gold medal and actually look at it as potential winners again? Um, it's a big ask, I think, but certainly it was nice to see smiles on their face and certainly a group of people that were looking like, yeah, we, we, we've got something left, you know, in our tanks and we, we might have underperformed at the World Cup, but we can we can do things. And I, I liked what they were doing and certainly the shape looked good and everything else, mm-hmm. but you're right, a little bit clunky, but yeah. What do you think there is the biggest change that Bev made that is uh, made the difference? Well, if I could just jump in there to sort of tie together both sort of ideas that you guys are talking about, you're piggybacked on, on Rian talking about the tactical change and maybe Bev's bravery. But I think it's good you said smiles on their faces. I think that th- these are two results under a great deal of pressure, right? The Olympic champions playing for the right to go and defend that gold medal. And I think Bev talked about she and her staff working really hard since the Olympics ended and with their eyes just on these two matches and, and the squad as well. And, you know, doing well in club and bringing that energy back into the national team. Um, but I want to play devil's advocate for a second, because given the depth that we're talking about mm-hmm. and given the profiles of the players at our disposal, I'm hearing words and phrases used like new tactical era. Is it really if as a coach, you just look at the quality and the qualities before you or in front of you that yeah, at your disposal in your squad and you just shift things around to, to best utilize all of those qualities? Like, is it, is it really that avant-garde? And is it really that sort of impressive that she went this route to go three at the back? I know that she's never really done it before against uh, teams if it, they weren't like tier two or tier three. So yes, give her credit for, for the choices and, and for the way that it worked out. But isn't that where we kind of should have ended up anyway? No, I think you're discrediting a hugely brave decision. I think okay. you highlighted it with the um, with the pressure on this mm-hmm. game and the pressures that come with not playing some of Canada's best-known names. And it's easy from the outside to say that, but managing locker rooms and egos is a whole other thing. That's a um, great point. That's maybe the, the biggest aspect of it, right? I mean, that's a like must have been a huge thing for her to have to – just get to like have that conversation and then all of the implications and weighing all that. And then say, okay, this is the biggest thing I have to address. And then we can move on. Oh, it's easier after a terrible world cup. Yep. (laughs) But uh, no, it's hard. And it it is very challenging for the players as well. Like I, I don't think people fully understand this is these women's lives. And just like the men's team, like when you take away some of their identity, it is that harsh, harsh and hurtful and painful. And um, she's managing that, but because she had, she almost had nothing, not nothing to lose, but it's scary to completely re rejig a team with not much lead in. Mm. Um, and I would say that I have said it in the past as well. They were definitely, in my opinion, working on this before the world cup 
This isn't the first time they've been training it, but I don't think they were able to because of injuries injuries before this. It's clunky because they haven't had more time playing it. I think it's going to get better and better. But if you look across just women's soccer, even men's soccer, there's not many coaches that change up very much because there's a lot to be said for actually keeping things the same and being the best at what you do. There's all like pick a, pick a mantra, but um, a lot of coaches do play it safe. And so I, I do think she needs to be commended for, for making a brave decision. She made, I think, one change coming into the second game and whether it was because of injury, whether it was because of something, I, I don't know, but it was a different kind of energy. I, I, I liked it. I thought it had a good flow to it. I thought um, Jess and Julia both came too low sometimes. And I thought the wingbacks were both too high sometimes. Mm-hmm. And these are all things that are going to get easier and more flush out as they train it. And now they're going to have two structures. Like it's harder for teams to prepare for Canada now because they can play different, different ways against different teams. But um, yeah, I just want to highlight that. I do think it was a very, um, it was a big decision and she, she deserves the kudos she's getting uh, Bev for, for those two big wins. Do you agree with, uh, with Rian Kreger? Yeah, you're right about people's. Pardon me. I think your internet's super slow again. <laughs> I just said you were on your way anyway, but there was a pause, so I just said, "What do you? What do you think?" <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he is right about it. Is their lives, and and I think so even more with the women's program because they spend so much more time together. Hopefully this will sound okay when it's all patched together. But um, <laughs> it, it, with the men, you kind of come in and out a little bit more often, you know, or a little, little bit less often as the women do. They spend a ton of time. And that sort of reminded me like last night, uh, you know, watching um, Jesse Fleming after the game. And th- there was quite a bit on social media about uh, an hour after the game, she was there, autographs, pictures, all that sort of thing. And it was like, well, it's nothing new, certainly. We see this every single time the Canada's women's team plays in Canada where the players will spend hours out there if they have to. And that's not something new. We've seen that generation after generation, something that goes without saying, or is it something that you talk about because it's so much put into the next generation of players and youngsters that are at games. It's just quite phenomenal. So what is it with that? Because it's, it's, it's more, I've seen it more with the Canadian women's team than just about anybody else. In terms of like sticking around and connection, and connecting with fans. with fans. Yeah. Well, I, I would say it's really interesting. You brought it up Craig, because I was actually watching the England game, um, the, not this one against Holland that they lost but the one before it. And they had, because they were traveling to Holland um, and they were in their FIFA window, they did not stay to sign autographs. Um, they, they acknowledged the fans and they went in the locker room and they got on their bus and they were booed. Um, and I thought that was an interesting moment because the women's game is growing very quickly. And what used to be smaller crowds where you could actually really have an impact, a direct impact, a one-on-one conversation, a meaningful moment with a fan is now becoming um, a little bit more challenging. But I do, I do think it is an important part of the women's game. It's the connection to the fan base. And there is a different fan base between the women and the men's teams at this time. I do think it's starting to, to mix more. Um, but it's an important part of the women's game. Um, and I love that our senior players now calling Jesse Fleming, a senior player is a tad painful, but uh, <laughs> she's, she's showing the way to all these, you know, Olivia Smith's Jade roses, Jade Riviers that are on the field now and showing 
the impact that spending an extra little bit of time um, acknowledging the fans can have. However, it's not the most professional thing to do if you have another game coming up. And this is where we're going to have to make that balance and fans can't just expect it. Hopefully it's be, it, it will continue to be there when possible. But um, if you have a second game, you've got to get your recovery going, the glycogen window and making sure you're getting your your proteins in within sort of 15 minutes of post game. It's It's important that the recovery be respected. But I do think we're moving away from it, but hopefully we don't lose it. Yeah, I think it's really important because Canada right now, we talked about this um, on our last pod, Re, and maybe you can weigh in on it about, you know, I don't think, and we sort of all agreed the consensus was we're not a footballing nation because events like this, it's so positive. It's incredible to see, and it's the support that the women deserve to have a sold out BMO field, but um, it'll become a one-off. And Bev was talking about the next windows. Hopefully there's another home game in there and, and Canada soccer can make that happen. But maybe, you know, the, the fans, to, to tie up that loose end, I think, does it mean that, that the women's game is going in the right direction, that this, the fans do feel this sense of entitlement because they've been used to being coddled almost or having that undivided attention? And they're, the fans, in a sense, are going to have to get used to it, that they're not going to be able to have maybe a one-on-one with a Jesse Fleming or a Janine Becky or a Christine Sinclair. I think for me, like you step back and you look at it and it, it means that the, you know, the fans maybe have some work to do to sort of understand that, but that the players can still continue to foster that, that connection. But what, what, what do you think about, about Canada and, and becoming or is Canada a footballing nation? Yuri. Oh, <laughs> sorry. There's a pause for, I don't think Canada, this is controversial, but I don't think Canada is even really a sporting nation. Yeah. We talked about that. I mean, we expect our athletes to do well, but we don't really want to fund them in a way like Australia. I always use them as a, they want to be the best at sport and they put a great deal of money into it. Um, we're not Australia. And um, yeah, I think there's a reality change. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. I think we love soccer. We love hockey, but they don't, we don't love them the same way in terms of how we invest in them. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, Canada has overperformed for on the women's side for years and it became an expectation. And I think things hit, I hit the fan at the world cup. We didn't have much depth. We got it. You can say shit. I don't. My mom listens. She's really your language. Sorry, Sean. (laughs) Shit hit the fan. (laughs) I think it's 
it's just something we just have to acknowledge. It's not, I'm not trying to be <laughs> critical. I'm trying to be honest here. Like, let's not pretend we're anything we're not. We don't invest in sport like other nations do. And then we don't perform. And we're like, why didn't we perform? Money, it's money. It's really annoying, but that is the key. And uh, if we're not going to invest in it, we're going to have amazing one-off results. And I do think it's a one-off that we won gold at the Olympics, but that's amazing. Like we won gold at Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can't be an expectation <laughs> because it would be ridiculous to expect that every time if we don't invest in it. So how do we keep the momentum going from, you know, the, the, the great vibes, then the, not only the result mm-hmm. at home, but the collective result to qualify for Paris 2024. How do we keep that buzz going? Yeah, I'm super biased. Project eight, this women's league has to happen. And my, my biggest gripe here is that everyone, I hear some criticisms, a lot of support, but just little criticisms. And you know how many years Diana and Tom, her business part, all these people like have been hearing the same thing, like me, like you, Amy, like you, Craig, that, oh, it's going to come, it's going to come, this person's going to start, this person. And then finally it took a former player just to get pissed off enough to decide to do it on her own. And she's building it with a very short runway. We want I'm working with her now for 2025 um, because we want to keep the, the foot on the gas, right? We don't want to put it so far away that people can get distracted. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about it a lot because it's a major issue that when our young people um, finish university, if they're fortunate enough to go to university on a scholarship, are forced to retire unless they have a second passport. I will keep saying that. It is ludicrous. It would not happen in any other field, but for some reason in Canada, we're absolutely fine with it, that there's nowhere for them to play. I played abroad. I then had to coach abroad. I'm a proud Canadian. I want to stay in Canada. I want to help develop my players here, and I want them to be able to play in front of our fan base, my family. Um, and that's not possible right now. So it's a very simple answer. And I'm, I speak passionately about it because we keep looking for the key and it's right in front of us. So it's however you can support this movement. Um, I think it's it's critical for our soccer landscape, for our young young people across the board. So we have examples for everyone as they're growing up. Do you want to weigh in there, Forrest? I also think that there's room on that landscape for it, you know, like I think that's one of the biggest problems like people talk about and how protected they are of certain sports that we know in Canada. And yet there's lots of room. There's more than enough room in the landscape for it to be supported well. And I think it just needs a little bit of support and backing and over time it will, uh, it will, it'll get, get back in spades as we've seen in, in Europe with these other leagues they are growing all the time and they're not necessarily making money for right now, but they're certainly investing in it and you can see them jumping ahead and the quality that we're seeing right across Europe and across the world is, is something else. And unless we have our own league, we're going to fall further behind. It's just an inevitable that we would. Yeah. I think it's giving our young women in, in this country more opportunity to play and to develop. Because as Rian's saying, you know, you don't stop developing in your sport. You don't stop growing and learning just because you're done university. You know, it, it's an absolutely, it blows my mind every time. I mean, can you imagine, I spoke to the, the sporting director for CF Montreal about this last week. Like, and their roster, there's one of the younger ones in MLS. And they had a, a mean age on the, on the field the other day of 23. And that was the youngest, I think, in the starting 11 so far this season. So I said, like, can you imagine if you, you plucked those players off the pitch and you said, well, sorry, we don't have anywhere for you to play. And that's the reality that, that's facing 
Um, you know, if you're not in that, you know, select group, you're not in Bev's player pool and you're just outside it, well, sorry, but you're fucked. You know, you have to go out and get a, get a real job or you have to, you know, maybe you have some support at home and you can continue playing like semi-pro or something like that. But it's just, it's just not good enough. And uh, we, we talked about yeah. this on the other, other pod, like to, to get closer to being that footballing nation. Well, you know what? You have to have equitable offerings. So if we have the CPL, uh, it's a domestic pro league. We need to have a comparable um, women's domestic yeah. pro league. You, you have to have it. And I, and I think one helps the other. They're not mutually exclusive, right? Everything that is sort of burgeoning and growing and you're contributing to that culture, one will help grow the other, you know? Can I get back on my soapbox for a second? Please do. Absolutely, I agree with you. Soccer, I mean, the men's game is almost, you know, 50% of the population is female. So like, just loving the, I love the game. Like, why can't we just acknowledge that? But another thing I, I, I want to acknowledge is, we're talking about players. And if I put my coaching hat on, we're also talking about all the jobs that surround the game. So there's the obvious coaches with the players, assistant coaches, there's the sports scientists, there's the physiotherapists, there's the media, the marketing, there's the GM, there's the administrators. There are all the jobs around the women's game that also get an opportunity to be in the spotlight, the medical teams, Um, Melissa Tancredi, you know, like one of the best ever. And unfortunately in the men's game, we don't have many female examples. There are not many women on the benches. You know, it makes the news when a woman is like, you know, mm-hmm. in the second row on a bench. And we have an archaic, misogynistic part of our brains that are not used to hearing a female voice talk about the game, let alone seeing a female person on the bench in the men's game. We're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. Um, so when we talk about the women's league, how critical it is for our pathway and for our young people to so make sure that we've got a base of players, but also for all these former players, not internationals, but just former athletes who want to stay connected to the game in a myriad of job opportunities um, that they do not have right now. Um, and that is something I don't want to, to miss out on. It's something to be reminded of because not everyone is going to play for their country, but everyone that I, you know, I've, a lot of people love the game and uh, there's space for them too. And, uh, you know, there's the old trope, like if you can't see it, you can't be it. That's for everything, not just the players. Um, so that's that's something we, we can't forget when we're talking about this. Craig Forrest, I thought you were going to win. <laughs> I wanted to go back to, to the game. Um, Rian um, needs to go. I know, it's a nightmare. It's, a nightmare. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Sorry. To, uh, JC, baby J, I'll tidy it all up. Um, but you were you were talking about risks, um, and um, and I and I like that a lot because I, I do I really was playing devil's advocate. I think it was um, a really gutsy decision by Bev to go with that. Um, and we'll get to like the individual players in a second. But another risk with Bev was away in Kingston in Jamaica and her sweater choice. I think that was a very risky decision. Did you see it? I didn't notice it, Aim, and I'm sure you're not surprised. Like, I honestly, I miss everything that's obvious, but definitely Bev's sweater choice isn't even obvious. There's no chance I remember what she wore. No, it wasn't wasn't some of her best work in the style department, but she redeemed herself wholeheartedly at at Bimo Field. She she looked fabulous. But I wanted to go back to a couple of of the important pieces, and you talked about the risk and and not using Christine. So Jesse's, I think basically your established captain now. And when Christine does get subbed on, 
to this fabulous ovation. I thought it was great. Um, I mean, that that's the type of reception that a player of her stature, this generational talent that has been undervalued and, um, you know, not really seen the way that we see her internationally not gotten the recognition that she deserves. I mean, to, to sort of put myself in her position and imagine what that would have felt like, I think that is what she absolutely deserves. But lost in all of that, because I was just sort of basking in that and taking it all in, is Jesse Fleming trying to give her the armband. And Christine's like, no, get out of here. Like, I don't want it. Like, it's yours. And we, we've talked about, um, you know, passing the torch in those moments. And one of the ones that people continually point to was where Christine picked up the ball um, in the semifinals against the U.S. in the Olympics and handed it to Jesse. And then she puts that, puts that penalty away and buries it in the back of the net. Um, I think the one yesterday is almost a more significant one or a more meaningful one somehow that Christine's mm. like, no, it's, it's your armband. You keep it. So I, I wonder what you thought about that. And then if either of you wanted to weigh in on um, the back three, those uh, like those three profiles and, and like those partnerships developing and then Sydney Collins and only her third cap mm. and, uh, and the impact that she made. Okay. Um, <laughs> passing the torch thing. You know, that, that's an interesting one with Christine. And, and honestly, when you're telling that actual story, uh, it almost brings tears in my eyes because just the, that whole thing and the, just remembering watching Christine, her whole career, and then what she's done for Canada, then seeing what's sort of happening out there. And then also after the game, there's a few tears with Christine, which I thought was just brilliant. And just the emotional side of it and the emotional connection that players have with each other. And also the age gap, you, you come in as a young person and you you go right through from being the kid and then picking up balls and cones to you know getting right out and all of a sudden your career is over but when you're doing it don't you feel like when you're in the middle of your career you feel like it's going to last forever yeah yeah definitely and Rian, if you wanted to go yeah it was emotional i think of the 2015 penalty where it was very I remember Sinky's talking about knowing that she had to take it, that it was at home, the opening game of the world cup and that she was not feeling very good. And she took that ball and um, put the ball, put it, put it in against China and that responsibility to the team, to the nation. And then you look then to the example you gave Amy, where she passes the ball on now, why she does it, whether it's just that acknowledgement that, this player sharper today or she that that sort of not fear but that doubt starts to creep in um and whether that's where she's at now like it's hard to the end of your career it's hard because you still think you're as fast as your brain hasn't changed it's just your limbs and you know that that's that's hard like Sinky has still got the best touch on the field she's got the best vision on the field um she is untouchable as legend and uh um yeah just incredible player for Canada that Canada's ever produced men and women. Like I'll, I'll say that. Um, but we're watching the closer to the end of her career, whenever she chooses to, to retire. And she knows that. And it's a hard thing to come to terms with. It really is. We've talked about retirement aims. It, it is impossible. It's impossible to get right. You're always either regretting retiring too early or you're devastated. You didn't retire earlier. There's no in between. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and 
she is acknowledging like behind the scenes, Bev has done a great job making sure that she knows that she is still the most important leader on that team. Cause if Sinky wanted to blow up the locker room, cause she was upset, she could. Mm-hmm. And she's not, she's making sure that people are going on the field confident and ready to, to play for their country and to, to qualify for the Olympics. And then she, she has her moment in front of a home crowd. And I'm so glad she came on and got the reception she so deserved, but um, you see that acknowledgement by not taking the armband that this is a moment in time that uh, it's quite clear who the leader is here um, in terms of on the field and wearing the armband that that's moved to, to Jesse at this point. Um, like to co- talk quickly about Sid Collins. I was watching her and I knew she played the last game and I knew the name rang a bell. And then I remembered um, she she's grown up in Oregon and uh, I had her out to train with us. Oh, there we go. Thorn. So that was a that was awesome to watch her. Um, doing so well and such a, a, a great talent. And then I ran into Olivia Smith's parents in the uh, parking lot after the game and seeing them. And um, it's exciting time. Like there's the sadness of of Sinclair, of Sophie Schmidt not being here, of, of Chapman mm-hmm. not being here. Like these are big names that have given so much to the program and weren't there. But what a young team. <laughs> we got out there and they played with a real maturity. There's It was clunky at times, but as it yep. will be. It's the second time they're playing that formation. But, yeah, absolutely. The, these individuals, and this is what was missing for me from the World Cup. Yes, it was just an overall underwhelming performance, an underperformance. Um, and it, it must have been so difficult to recover from that. But what you got out of these two games, and it wasn't always the same individuals, but you got the individual brilliance. And sometimes it was less clunky and you saw the fluency you saw the fluidity you saw the combinations and the chemistry on on the pitch was what you want to see when you switch formations I imagine Rian like that's one of the one of the things that you're looking for as a coach is you're looking for those connecting pieces right Mm -hmm. but I think you saw Ashley Lawrence play the way that we know I know that you're tough on Ashley Lawrence because you have high expectations for her level of talent I think we're starting to see now what we expect to see when we see Ashley Lawrence. So she's released in that sort of wing back role and absolutely imposes herself on the game. And then these, these younger players, I mean, Sid Collins, you talked about her and Bev talked about it. And I said, hang on a minute, Bev, like I think you're forgetting what Janine Becky can give you because Janine is back around the team. That's great to see. But she says something about Sid saying that she's never seen a player, um, you know, make run after run and be able to replicate and run for as long as she did. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, hang on, Bev, I think you're forgetting this about Janine. This has to look at Chloe LaCasse and Janine Becky, too. Like, what a privilege. Oh, my like, gosh. And in, 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 in a different way. So maybe that's some recency bias on yeah. uh, on, on Bev's part. And then, and then Olivia Smith. Like, I think, you know, talking about unique profiles. Chloe, that's what she brings when, when she's out there is, you know, the, this mazy dribbler and her ability to take players on and then create space for others on the dribble. Um, and just do something different. She's less north-south and, you know, is not the same player as a Nichelle Prince or a Deanne Rose when she's, when she's healthy. She's offering, even Jordan, she's completely unique. And that's what Canada needs to develop more. And we've talked about this, and that's what Project Ape's going to do as well, is you're going to open this up and you're going to see less sort of rigidity in the types of athletes and the types of footballers that we're, that we're producing. That's what she brings. And I think Olivia just to finish my long-winded point here, like she, she's so strong and powerful and there's such intent 
in her game to to want to turn and to be aggressive and to go at players and try to create stuff for herself without it being me, 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 me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, she's been like that since she was in her early teens. She's just a very, she's so confident in her ability in a way that I love to see. Like she just, and she works on her weaknesses and she stays positive and it's great to see her. She should have scored. Yes. <laughs> she should have scored. And, and so should have Sinky. Well, what I uh, an opportunity that was that was a slightly harder one, but with Sinky, you just have those expectations now. Um, but it's an exciting group. And um, I'd like to, you know, when we talk about project aid and I'll say it again, it's the different types of players that each team is going to develop as well. So we've had to be very, very intentional with developing talent as soon as we see it and bring it through the system and making sure that they're ready to play within the formation or fit into what we need needed for the Canadian senior team. So if you knew that me, I was retiring as a right back, you knew you had to start looking around for a right back and develop them almost like faster than we should have. That was how our system had to work Mm -hmm. um, because we weren't having enough youth camps because there was nowhere for these players to train or be seen. Um, Project 8 is going to allow for different coaches, different sort of team DNAs to develop a broad range of types of players, which is broad what range national team. Broad oh. range. Well done. Oh, God. Um, which is great. Like you have Jordan coming in and getting a header five minutes after coming on with Ashley standing it up back post. Like, perfect. We've got players that are traveling across the field that are turning forward, that aren't just playing backwards without checking their shoulders. We've got players who like to dribble. We've got players that use their speed. That's what we need. We need to keep not just keeping more players in the game longer, but different types of players um, so that we make sure that whatever opposition we're playing, we've got different combinations, different types of players that can break down their weaknesses, which we haven't been able to do before. Yep, 100%. Well, I know you have a, a hard out friend. I don't want to keep you too long. And Craig Forrest is still with us, but he's on like a 15-second lag. So he has, hasn't jumped in a whole lot in the last little bit. But Craig, thanks so much for joining Thanks for having me. I love listening to you guys. It's amazing and uh, way to go for our women's team to qualify for the Olympics and defend their their medal. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. And uh, it's also interesting to listen to Rihanna about the development of players and the technical side of things. And maybe you know we've been stuck in our ways in Canada the way we we do play. And I think we we need to change that. And how I was going to ask you before we go, how do you think? We change that and and develop, like you say, coaches that are being able to get our players into that sort of style of play or more technical than we've been ever been in the past before it's too late. Yeah, our coaches need experience as well. I mean, um, I think licenses are really important. Just like if you wanted to be a professor, you've got to go get your degrees to make sure that you're in a position to, to handle a classroom of students. Our coaches need to make sure they're getting their, their licenses, but also that they're getting experience coaching at the highest level. And Project Aid hopefully is an opportunity for that. But uh, just like players, to develop yourself um, as a coach, you have to be going abroad at the, at the pro level right now, um, which is unfortunate, but a reality. And it's, it's the only way that we can make sure that we're staying technically, tactically, like right at the top of the game is going out into the world and making sure that we're, we're watching and studying and learning from other nations and bringing it home and making it uniquely Canadian. Um, Everyone's done every formation before. How you animate it is the people um, that you have at your disposal on the field and how the coach envisions it coming to life. Um, So 
yeah, our coaches need experience just like our players do. Um, and hopefully we get them more opportunities in Canada soon. Project eight. Say it yeah. one more time. Project eight. It's the way to do it to make that ecosystem as robust as possible. Well, that's it from me and Rian Wilkinson and Craig Forrest. And uh, so that was pretty fun in the broadcast. Keep broadening your horizons. Catch you guys on the flip flop. Bye. Bye. Follow us on Twitter at footy underscore prime and on Instagram at footy prime IG. Treasure, man. Oh. <laughs> your internet was brutal. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.